Father, we pray that you would do that work for us that you did for this blind man in John chapter 9. That you would open blind eyes, that you would awaken dead hearts, that you would lead us to life, help us to see truth. May we be responsive. May we see the light of Christ radiated through the word of God today. And may it change us. Change us in, a, in the deepest way possible. Change us to our core as we come to understand our personal deficiency, our desperation for you, and we come to see Christ for who he is, the only one who can satisfy our deepest longings, who can lead us to relationship with God, who can set us free from sin through faith in his work on the cross and resurrection. So Lord, even now, begin the work of your Holy Spirit in convicting hearts, in illuminating our eyes so that we can see the message of truth written in the scriptures, that you would be pleased with the response of our hearts. It would lead us to worship, praise, obedience, and confession to others of what you have accomplished for us. God, may in all these things you be pleased. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, kind of taking it phrase by phrase and, and coming to appreciate this mission statement that, uh, that Jesus read in this day in Nazareth that we find there in Luke chapter 4, taking it phrase by phrase and coming to see the expectation of Messiah. Jesus lays out the, the, the very features of his ministry that he would call the people around him to take notice and to see that he, in fact, is the one who has come from God. In delivering this mission statement, Jesus has in mind not only to address physical needs, but especially and ultimately, primarily, <laughs> to minister to spiritual needs, spiritual blindness, spiritual poverty, spiritual captivity. And that is the heart of our Savior as he is ministering to the things on the outside, the things that can be seen, the things that are physical, it will help his audience to understand that what he promises to do in a physical way can also be accomplished in a spiritual one. And certainly that is much more important. And so this morning as we come to our phrase again in Luke chapter 4, to open the eyes of the blind, we realize that that God has in mind to do something more than just help us to see in a physical way. His desire is that everyone in this room has eyes that are spiritual, eyes that are open to see the things from the word that he would seek to draw us in and to realize a relationship with him is possible only through his son, only through faith in Christ, in the finished work of Christ on the cross and resurrection from the grave, which, by the way, in two weeks from now, we will celebrate in Easter. I think we have eight of you who said you want to be baptized. Uh, I am thrilled, and the, the door is open for others of you who, who may want to be baptized as well as a testimony of the work of God in saving your soul and identifying with him through that confession, that public confession of, of that work of God in your life. 
as we've worked our way through this, these phrases of Luke chapter 4, we've, we've come to understand this was not just the mission statement of Jesus, what he would accomplish. We come to appreciate this is what every person who calls himself a follower of God will do. The mission statement for Christ will be emulated by those who call themselves Christ followers, sent ones from God. As I was reading this past week, uh, an email that had been given to me, those of you who, who might know Daniel Kane, he is a Triumph missionary in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Alex and I had the opportunity to go with him to St. Petersburg in the fall. He is in constant communication with pastors and Christian leaders in Ukraine. I have been absolutely blown away, inspired by the, by the work of God through the church in Ukraine. Bold, courageous, physical needs meeting kind of gospel ministry that's happening over there. I, I just want to read a couple of uh, snippets of some notes. I, I have four pages worth of notes. I won't read them all. I'll spare you. But this is representative of what is happening over there. God's church being the gospel. People moved into our city, this pastor says. Some leave, some stay. We feed everyone as we can. Care and help with evacuation. Today, once again, we organized assistance in loading people into buses. The situation is getting more and more complicated every day. Your gift arrived, speaking of Daniel's gift to this pastor, at just the right time as sausages appeared in the market after many days of only bread being available. There are many, excuse me, there are few products and those that are have incredible prices. Fuel can only be obtained by a real miracle. Faith wins. God is alive. Wow. Pray for opportunities to expand the kingdom. Today I spoke with several families who left us. They begin to pray and are looking for local churches in the places where they are now. We see how God works and people change. In recent days, another pastor writes, there have been a lot of people in various cities, both single people and families who got out of the shelling from the, uh, from the ruins and from the basements in another city. Additional worries have been added on the needs of local residents who themselves do not live with huge savings. The church does not stand aside and everyone who can actively serve in whatever way they can are helping. Reminded of the significant testimony of these people being the flesh, the gospel, Jesus in the flesh to these Dear people who are coming from all of these other places, experiencing great challenges, and the church is showing up. And gospel opportunities are happening. I'm reminded of the church of Thessalonica and the words of the Apostle Paul about that church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, 6 to 8. It says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. And the exact same thing has happened in all over Ukraine. The gospel is coming in flesh and blood. The mission statement that we've been studying is taking taking um, a visible and active presence in the lives of needy people all over that country. Faith wins. God is alive through his people who embrace courageously this mission statement and carrying it through and taking opportunities to share about the kingdom, about the gospel to those who need it most. This morning we are in Luke chapter 4. Verse 18 and 19, I would encourage you to turn there. We're just really looking at, at one phrase, and it's this phrase that hopefully you can see there up on the screen. Recovering of sight to the blind. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And the significance of that statement for us, not only as recipients of this ministry of God, all of us in this room are blind or have been blind in some way, and the ministry of God by opening our blind eyes, our spiritual blindness, and leading us to spiritual light is a ministry that, if you are a believer this morning, you've enjoyed. And it is a ministry, as a believer, that you are called to carry out. We carry this ministry out through a ministry of words. We're going to look at that in just a, a moment. <laughs> but, but Jesus, as we saw last week, is kind of putting together his own mission statement drawing primarily from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, but, but also drawing from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, and kind of piecing together the phrases of this mission statement to draw some things uh, to our attention. Help us understand the significance of not just what he came to do, but how he, came, how he intended to carry out that ministry. We see this ministry of proclamation. We see to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and proclaim recovering of sight to the blind. And, and your, your, your Bibles won't have that verb put back into that phrase, but as the main verb of those two phrases and those two phrases being parallel with one another, you can insert that word and assume that proclamation ministry must also happen to the blind in order for sight to take place. Then to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Is there, any, is there any mystery about how the ministry of Christ, the ministry of Messiah will take place? There, there's no question that Jesus has in mind that life and change and hope will happen through the ministry of words. If you have a Bible in your hand, you have a ministry of words. If you have the Bible in your heart, as you've memorized the Word of God, so many of you who are part of, of Awana will recognize the significance of, of the words of God committed to heart and, 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 and the access that the Spirit has to the, the reservoir of words, of life-changing words in your heart that you can bring to every conversation that you're in as you memorize and internalize the life-giving words of God. Jesus emphasized proclamation, but he also emphasized sending, which we see here. He sent me, apostello, to proclaim, keruso, 
to liberty to the captives, to set at liberty, which is what we looked at last week. Also, apostello, those who are liberated and set free are liberated with a purpose, liberated not only just to be free, but liberated so they can be sent to preach, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Send and preach and send and preach. Jesus has in mind that this will be the expectation for him as Messiah, but also for all of those who have enjoyed the ministry that we're reading about. Those who are spiritually impoverished, who have enjoyed the the benefit of the lavish riches of God's grace. Those who are captives, spiritually bound, can enjoy the liberty that is given to us through the gospel and thus also go out and provide that same liberty through the word, the proclamation of the word, sent to accomplish the same purpose. This morning, our phrase is recovery of sight to the blind. In the Hebrew, the the actual phrase is the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And the word... uh, of the prison is not in the original, but it's kind of added to help fill out some of the meaning for us in our English translation. But those who translated this into the Greek, Septuagint, which would have been the the common uh, tool for those who were in the synagogues, especially for those in Nazareth, in the Galilee of the Gentiles, Hebrew would not have been as accessible to them. They would have all spoken Aramaic. They would have known the trade language of Greek. And so most of them in most of the synagogues would have had the Greek translation, the Septuagint. And that's what Jesus read from. And that's where we get this phrase, opening the eyes of the blind, recovery of the sight to the blind. This phrase also is closely associated with the ministry of Messiah that we find in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7. And no doubt where the translators of the Septuagint drew this idea of opening blind eyes. It says, to open the eyes of those who are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And so those translators of the Septuagint, having written this phrase in that text, Jesus, in reading this phrase and then stating, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, gives testimony to the fact that the translators of the Septuagint got it right. That's what they meant. That was the understanding. And that's what Jesus will do. Jesus will provide recovery of sight to the blind. Well, what does that all mean? And why is that significant? I wanted to step into this as we come to understand what, what, what is happening here with this phrase and, and why is it so relevant to us today? First, I want to just draw attention to the problem of blindness. The problem of blindness. And recognizing that this was a prominent issue in the first century. For those of us living here in America, uh, we don't really come to a place of of seeing a significance of blindness. It's not really around us too much, but in the first century, it was a big deal. It was a widespread issue. We see it in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, where Jesus is healing some blind men in Capernaum. We also find in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, that a demon-oppressed man, I think I have this um, up on the screen for you, the demon-possessed oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him And he healed him, so the man spoke and saw. 
So not only was blindness a symptom of physical difficulty, but it was also a result of demon oppression, which if you follow any of Jesus' ministry and have, have read through the Gospels at all, you recognize that demon oppression was a big deal in the first century. Also in Matthew chapter 15, verses 30 to 31, great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled, healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus stepped in, and almost everywhere Jesus goes, blindness seems to be in the forefront. So that in Matthew chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus is healing two blind men in Jericho. In Matthew 21, verse 14, Jesus heals a blind man in the temple at Jerusalem. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22, in Luke chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, everywhere Jesus goes, there are people who need this ministry of opening blind eyes. We don't really think about this very much because we're not really acquainted with blindness here in our modern culture. But in fact, there are 12 million people who are 40 and older living in, in the States that have vision impairment. One million who are blind, three million who have vision impairment, eight million who have this vision impairment due to uncorrected refractive error, which is essentially just a fancy word for nearsightedness and farsightedness. When it goes uncorrected, it leads to blindness. This number is expected to double by 2050. There are about 45 million people around the world who are blind. About 135 million people who can only see dimly, mainly in third world countries where these issues can't be addressed in a, a way that we have access to. I just did a quick research and the top five cases or causes of blindness today, cataracts, glaucoma, age, diabetes, and something called, um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. All things which are correctable in our modern culture, but would never have been correctable back in the first century. In the past, 200 years ago, smallpox was a major cause of blindness. Venereal disease, like syphilis and gonorrhea, was the leading cause of blindness at the end of the 19th century. Infection was the leading cause of blindness in newborns at the close of the 19th century. High fever, like scarlet fever, those of you who watched the Little House on the Prairie series or read the, the Little House on the Prairie um, books would know that, that Mary Ingalls, because of scarlet fever, got blind because of the fever that was out of control. Meningitis, Helen Keller was a, was a, uh, a person who became blind because of meningitis. A number of correctable issues in our current day that never would have been correctable in the first century. In the third world, blindness happens through vitamin A deficiency, through this refractive error, nearsightedness and farsightedness that is never corrected, leads to uh, um, ultimate blindness. But none of these factors would have been available in the first century. And so this, this issue of blindness was widespread. And so the people 
came to recognize that when the Messiah would come, then he could help to fix this issue of blindness that is so prevalent among us. It was also a prominent issue in the Old Testament. The standard Hebrew term for blindness is aver. But there are eight other terms in the Hebrew Old Testament for blindness, which helps to underscore the significance of this issue in biblical day. Prominent figures in the Bible that were blind, you know, Isaac. Remember how he is deceived by Jacob who comes and disguises himself to essentially steal the birthright from Esau. He wears the, the, the skin on his arms and he smells like the field. He's deceiving his blind dad so he can get the birthright. Jacob at the end of his life who blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, crosses his arms in order to bless the younger of the two sons. Eli who was blind and we find that Moses... The testimony of the vigor of God in his life, the preservation of vitality, it says, Moses, his eyesight had not failed even in his old age. That's saying something. We find that blindness is a result of judgment of God in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 28. The Lord, it says, will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually and there shall be no one to help you. Theologically, all cases of blindness are attributed to God as we find in Exodus chapter 4, 11, which says, Then the Lord said to him, speaking to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Everyone understood that blindness was a factor because God had determined it. And as God could bring blindness, God could also bring uh, healing and open the eyes of the blind. As we find in Psalm 146, verses 7 and 8. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Now, maybe not surprisingly, this word, the Lord sets the prisoner free, is only used three times in the entire Old Testament. Guess where the other use of this word is found? Isaiah 58, 6. It all comes together. Prisoners are free, eyes are open. It's a ministry of God. God alone can heal the eye. God alone can give light and awareness and insight, spiritual sight. The problem of blindness was widespread across the first century. We see it there in the first century. We see it in the Old Testament and it lingers. It was a, it was a need that the people had, something they could not address. But the issue of blindness also points to the promise of healing. The difficulty that they faced created sensitivity and awareness of need that could only be met by God. And they knew that promise for healing was coming. It was coming. It was coming by God. This promise of Messiah. He would open the eyes of the blind. And in this way, blindness represents the human condition. It represents the human condition across the board. 
It helps us understand our neediness, our brokenness, our desperation for God of stepping in and helping. Of all the issues that would be addressed by Messiah, this one best underscores the human condition because it was independent of class, economic status, ranking or position, gender or race or age. It would affect every person and every walk of life. You were not exempt. And it would leave those who experience blindness with a state of dependence, really unable to perform the tasks that society demanded in order to provide for your family having to beg in the public square or having to depend on the rest of your family for help, leaving them vulnerable, as we saw in our passage, open to harm, susceptible to theft, taken advantage of, having to be led from one place to the other. For many of them, it was a slow deterioration of vision over the duration of life, which left them feeling hopeless, frustrated, and desperate. And of all the issues facing society, this is the only one in which that, that required outside help, required help from God. You see, in this mission statement that we've been looking at, the benevolent person might help the poor. The strong person might be able to help the captive. The compassionate person may be able to help step in and provide comfort for those who are feeling oppressed but only the Lord could help the blind. This morning, even as we look at this passage and recognize the significance of our state, our human condition of desperation, and maybe this morning you're not blind in a physical way, but every person in this room is needy, just like these blind people. Every person in this room, in order for us to receive healing, must come to the place of recognizing that we are dependent on God, spiritually dependent upon God. And that's what blindness does for us as well. Recovery of sight reveals the power of God to save. Identifies the problem, the problem that you are unable to fix on your own, and then points your attention to the only one who can step in and provide recovery of sight. Recovering of sight, this is only one word in the Greek, It's only used here in the New Testament as a nominative, but used 25 times throughout the New Testament as a verb. Essentially means to gain sight, to be able to see, whether for the first time or to see again. No characteristic could better identify the Messiah than this one. And this is what the Jews expected. This is what they hoped for. This is what they longed for, this anticipation of Messiah, the servant who would come. The spirit of the Lord would be upon him. He would help provide healing in this significant way. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18, provides another indication of this ministry of the Messiah, future Messiah. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. They expected this ministry of Messiah. And this was the quintessential ministry of Christ to demonstrate that he was, in fact, the Messiah. So unmistakable was this sign that that when John the Baptist sent disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the Messiah? Now, try to wrestle with me with this for a moment. 
John the Baptist, at the end of his life, is having a crisis of faith. John the Baptist, at the end of his life, the one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the time of his birth, the one who preached repentance and forgiveness of sins, the one who declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who baptized Jesus, the one who said, he must increase and I must decrease, the one that Jesus said that no one born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. This one had a crisis of faith at the end of his life. He sends disciples to Jesus, we find in Luke chapter 7, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds with his mission statement. Jesus responds with the confirming work of his ministry that has shown up, not only in a spiritual way, but a physical way. And he says in verses 22 and 23, he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I have come and I've met every expectation as only Messiah can do. I'm the one. The presence of Messiah is here. And that transitions us to our last point. We have seen the problem of blindness, that it was widespread, the neediness that it indicates in the life of every person, the promise of healing that only comes through the Messiah himself and the presence of the Messiah that we find Throughout the New Testament, as we look at the way that Jesus stepped in and addressed this very thing. And in addressing blindness, Jesus, in mercy, is helping to state emphatically, I am the one you've been waiting for. I am, in fact, the Messiah. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is this sarcastic blind man we find in John chapter 9 that was read for us. We see in this story the unmistakable testimony of Jesus to the religious elite. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came for the religious elite. He came for anyone who would listen. And he targets these religious elite with this particular work of ministry in recovery of sight to the blind. It says in John chapter 9, verse 1, he passed by, speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, meaning that the presence of God is on me. And the presence of Messiah is here. And the works that I will do will confirm that I am the guy. I'm the one you've been waiting for. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And you know this story. 
The man went, he did his thing, he washed in the pool, his eyes were opened, and those who were observing everything that was taking place and trying to gain favor with the Pharisees rat this guy out and say, hey, listen, something significant just went down. This blind guy was just healed and he is violating the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees, in questioning this man, and recognizing the significance of the miracle that has just happened, are conversing with one another, we find in John 9, 16. It says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So they get his parents. They, they want to call them in for questioning. They want to make sure that this is actually the guy who's been, who, who, who belongs to them and he was born blind. And they say, well, we know this is our son and we know that he was born blind, but we don't know how in the world this, this happened. Go ask him. Later on in this discussion, John chapter 9, verse 32, the Pharisees again collaborate and say, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This is our word from our passage. Jesus, in accomplishing this work, mercifully and graciously uh, demonstrated the presence of Messiah in their midst, and they rejected it. We find through the rest of the story that the, the man who was born blind, Jesus encounters again, and in verse 38, we say, Lord, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. His physical eyes were opened, and his spiritual eyes had sight, and he worshiped the Lord. The Pharisees, on the other hand, while they should have been seeing, while they should have known the scriptures and been aware of the fulfillment of the, of the promise in front of them, they should have worshiped as well. But Jesus confronts them and they ask this question in verse 40, are we also blind? To which Jesus says in summary, yes, in fact you are. Jesus also gives an unmistakable testimony to the pilgrims of Passover we find this story in Luke chapter 18. Jesus systematically wants the people to know that he is Messiah. <laughs> so in this story, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus in this entire procession that are coming from Galilee, now coming into Jerusalem, this is the final week of Jesus' life and ministry before the cross. And here they are, this massive group is making their way through Jericho, about 14 to 17 miles away from Jerusalem. And they're confronted with these two men. These two men that we find in Matthew. Mark tells us the, names of, the name of one of these men, who is Bartimaeus. And Luke picks up on this story and, and helps us to understand that as Jesus drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing the crowd go by, inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> the crowd tries to silence him, and he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Which, by the way, Passover is close. The word and testimony, this word, Jesus, son of David, is only used twice in the Gospels, and here it is, right before Passover, right before Jesus will ride into Jerusalem. 
And it would be this blind man, I think, leading the procession of stating emphatically, Jesus is the son of David, and leading this procession as they walk into Jerusalem. This clear sign and indication that Jesus was in fact present and Jesus in fact was Messiah and here he was going to involve the crowd in this healing ministry because he doesn't just snap his fingers. He doesn't just whisper under his breath. He, just, he doesn't just give a, a little nod as he's walking by because healing was not the point. Faith was the point. Jesus had in mind to call the masses to faith in himself by recognizing the the emphatic statement of his ministry of opening up blind eyes. So he calls the crowd. He stops in his tracks, Jesus. He tells the crowd to get involved and to lead this blind man to himself. And Jesus then has the audacity to ask, what should I do for you? Well, of course, Of course you know what to do, right? But again, Jesus wants to draw attention to faith. He says, Lord, let me recover my sight. That's our word this morning. In verse verse 42 of chapter 18, Jesus says, recover your sight. That's our word. And then in verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight. This threefold witness of recovery of the Messiah who's present, calling the people to faith. Do you believe? Here I am. Believe, not only in the physical healing that is, that is uh, available, but especially in the spiritual healing that you can have through faith alone in Jesus. See, blindness is, a, is symbolic of spiritual neediness. Our spiritual powerlessness And as John read this morning from Ephesians chapter one, there's only one source for healing and help when it comes to spiritual blindness. And the apostle Paul is praying this for the church of Ephesus when he says in chapter one, verse uh, 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So this morning, as you evaluate your life, at what point on the continuum do you belong? Are you one who needs spiritual sight and awareness of the gospel so that, so that God can call you into relationship with him? Have you come to the place of recognizing that you're a sinner, that you're desperate for God, that, that apart from him there is no help for blindness? That you come to a place of recognizing that he is the only way, that faith in Jesus his death and resurrection, what it's accomplished for you in purchasing for you eternal life and relationship with God, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And have you come to a place of bowing your knee and asking for forgiveness and giving Jesus your heart and committing to live a life of spiritual awareness so that those of you who are in this room who have, who have uh, called yourself a believer, 
who have had at one point your spiritual eyes open so that you can see Christ for who he is, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ as we find in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Paul makes it clear that, that day by day there needs to be new spiritual light, new spiritual awareness, that we, we can't be satisfied with what we knew yesterday, that yesterday's knowledge about God is good, but that he has more to give, the riches of the hope that we have in him that he can pour out on us and lavish on us through continual spiritual awakening. That is what's in store for those of you who believe and love God. And that's what he wants for us daily to strip away the layers of of, uh, limited vision so he can continue to restore our sight as we look at the face of Christ in his word. May God do that for us and may God help us to be conduits of spiritual light and spiritual vision for the people in your families, in your workplace, for you kids who are going to school, for your fellow classmates and your teachers. I hope that you're praying for them every single day, for the kids in your community, for the people that you do business with, the people in your workplace, that God can use you as a conduit of spiritual light, recovery of sight of the blind. We're on mission. How are we doing? May God help us to do the work that Christ has set before us in this mission statement and do it faithfully. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for what you've accomplished for us by opening our spiritual eyes of making us aware of our our desperation for you in calling us into relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to walk in the light as you are in the light. And may we commend that ministry and that relationship to everyone with whom we come in contact. And may we see in the next few days, the next few weeks, and throughout this year, the continuing revelation of God to the world around us and an awakening, a spiritual awakening. May we be conduits of your work, your ministry, in the lives of those around us, we pray in your name, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. If any of you wants to know how to have that relationship with God, I would love to share that with you, as I'm sure many others would too. Blessings on you. Have a great week.